This is Polyoptics, shining a light on the theater of politics. And now, from New York, here's Josh King. Thanks for joining Adam Belmar and me as we continue to digest our turkey and stuffing and pull back the curtain on the Christmas shopping season. Come on, we know you're out there driving from one outlet store to the next, loading up on stuff swathed in plastic packaging, maybe a treasured keeper for your loved ones, or maybe returned for a gift card five weeks from now. But as you're driving from parking lot to parking lot, take a journey with Adam and me as we look back one more time at the political theater of 2012 with three special members of the Polyoptics family. That's right, Josh. Here in Washington, D.C., we have Arun Chaudhry. Arun was President Obama's official videographer in the 08 campaign and in the White House, and he is the author of first cameraman out from Macmillan, and it makes a great holiday gift. I can commend it myself to you. And down in Florida, our old pal Kevin Sullivan of Kevin Sullivan Communications. Kevin would also make a great holiday gift. He's been a frequent guest host here on this show and was, of course, my boss, director of communications for President George W. Bush. And in New York, just back from Italy, to find his car submerged by Superstorm Sandy, we have Craig Manassian of Manassian Media and the Clinton Global Initiative. But in the closing weeks of 2012, Craig was also working events for Obama in Ohio. Holy crap, Adam. The traveling all-stars spanning our now 79 episodes of Polyoptics wrapped up in a Christmas bow. But first, we have to honor the return of our Shamus candle, Adam Belmar, who got the call of the bullpen from Stu Spencer and Matt Rhodes back in June. Adam, welcome back. You gave them all the high heat you had in your arsenal. How exactly did Team Romney put you to use, and why wasn't it enough to get him 270 electoral votes? Gosh, I wish that I could uh, have been so important as to take credit for this loss. I think the post-mortem on this one is going to take a while, although Arun's got a smile on his face like he could tick it off in about three seconds. But, you know, from a polyoptics perspective, uh, having learned what I did working for Kevin Sullivan in the White House, having uh, worked on message development. I'm real real proud of what we did in this campaign. I like the, 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 the imagery that we created in the way we leveraged the strengths that we did have. Uh, the addition of Paul Ryan to this ticket added a lot of energy. We did some great crowd building from an events perspective. I think kind of the stuff that we're going to hear from Craig, uh, there was a lot to be proud of. Uh, where the bottom fell out, if it was ever there, uh, is something that we can all weigh in on. But I'll tell you, to get pulled out of the bullpen, to be plucked from uh, polyoptics, to go live again, Josh, was one hell of an example of how polyoptics plays out there in the hustings and is an important part of presidential politics. Well, I've said, you know, having Craig Manassi I'm looking at, we having worked against uh, Bob Dole in 96 and uh, uh, John McCain in 2008, these are guys who uh, did not put together big events well. Uh, watching on the Twitters, Adam, uh, some of the final events of the last few weeks. From an event perspective, I think there was a lot of parity between the two campaigns, and it came down to a lot of the ground game and some other stuff. But let's hear a little bit about that final night, November 6th, both from Governor Romney and President Obama, and then let's get into a conversation with these guys. Just called President Obama to congratulate him on his victory. His supporters and his campaign also deserve congratulations. I wish all of them well but particularly the president, the first lady, and their daughters. This is a time of great challenges for America, and I pray that the president will be successful in guiding our nation. The American people reminded us that while our road has been hard, while our journey has been long, we have picked ourselves up. We have fought our way back, and we know in our hearts but for the United States of America, the best is yet to come. So, Arun, you worked for the guy in 2007-2008. Uh, what did you learn from this campaign? Well, you know, watching 2012, especially from afar, was interesting in how little of a lot of the 2008, uh, I don't know, I don't even want to call them tactics, but sort of uh, the tactics were implemented in 2012. I mean, everyone says a successful presidential run by definition can't look like the last one right you can't fall into that trap and i think uh, a lot of folks especially the romney campaign i think were surprised to see how different this uh campaign was than 2008 especially in the digital sphere 
uh, how and how was it different? I mean, you know, we saw like Stephanie Cutter became a uh, a household name on YouTube. She had her own set. It was like she was uh, pre-butting everything the Romney campaign put out. What's your what did you hear from your colleagues back in Chicago about the way? the new tactics that were being deployed this time? Well, you know, I think they felt technology had risen to the point where they were able to do rapid response almost in real time rather than, you know, having one run hustling in a hotel room to get it up. They could actually have a system in place by which they were able to do these things. But the most important thing was, of course, being able to do... 2008 was all about collecting data, but 2012 was all about using data and using it smartly to actually target, uh, you know... uh, different groups effectively. And I think what you saw in 2012 in a way, and I'd love to talk to Adam about this, though, is a, is a decline of the spectacle in politics and the rise of customer service. So actually, both sides put together beautiful events, beautiful conventions, but did they matter as much as the feeling that you were being taken care of as a customer when you entered into a candidate's website? You know, I can only give uh, anecdotal assessment of the of the Romney uh, website. I, I was working as an adjunct to the digital team and was ensconced in the advance operation from top to bottom. Uh, but I think if there was a, a, a letdown, I, I would say you're probably right. There wasn't a great deal of customer service uh, associated with that Romney website. It was a one-size-fits-all uh, go get what you want off the buffet line. It wasn't particularly tailored. Is that is that what you're talking about? That's exactly what I mean. When you arrive at, at a website, at the, how much does it already know about you? Not in terms of creepy stalkerdom, but like, oh, you're likely to want to see the veterans policy. Can that be on the front page for you when you arrive? That's pretty wild, Josh. Uh, you know, it's funny because that kind of digital reality, and, and we, I talk about it in in what I do uh, for corporate clients is absolutely the leading edge of, of digital communication. But for you and for me, for Craig, for Sully, um, we weren't those guys. And so we didn't see that reality. If, if it wasn't your reality that, that, that they perceived you wanted to see or needed to see, you didn't see it. So you couldn't really get a uh, a walk in somebody else's digital shoes. Yeah, in, in so many ways I did feel eclipsed because I, in terms of what we do, Craig Manassian, because I knew that... Uh, uh, how hard people were working on those first uh, Obama rallies that were out in Ohio, the first bus tour bringing out uh, out uh, Ground Force One. And I know you were deployed out to the field in the final weeks, but it seemed like uh, beneath the surface in the skunk works, uh, the, what was happening in Chicago seemed to, to take precedence over some of those things we remember from 2008, Obama uh, rally Seattle, Washington crowd as far as the eye can see seem to be fewer of those and more sort of smaller events. But what happened? How were you used in those final weeks? Sure, I was out there doing advance, and I, I think one of the benefits of uh, of people like us who who can do advance it's a it's a way that you can contribute to the campaign without you know uh, you know really leaving your job and and going out there and it and it's a need that they have and it's it's you know it's an honor to be able to still do it. Um, but I do think you all bring up a good point, which is when you match up what was happening on the ground with the, the Romney events and the Obama events, sometimes um, in the same town, uh, a day apart or even later the same day, it looked pretty comparable. You know, maybe Obama was getting 6,000 people and the Romney campaign was getting 5,000 people. You know, the it, it looked like it was competitive. And then when you, you match it up with the polls, um, I wonder if the real campaign was a stealth campaign. And and I I think that for people who don't who've never done this, they don't understand the effort that the field organizers put into getting those crowds. And so when the Obama campaign had two and three times as many field offices in states, I wonder if the demands and Adam I'd be curious to your take overwhelm the field offices when yeah. they they looked like they needed to turn out five thousand people and that meant those were, you know, it was compromising to get out the vote effort where the Obama campaign had the resources to do it all. That, that, is, really a great, that is a great question. I can't give you an answer as to whether it undermined the get out the vote effort because it wasn't my table, it wasn't my section. But I can tell you, Josh and Craig, that this was my first presidential campaign. Okay, I was in news um, and I was literally tapped by Kevin Sullivan. Uh, Sully, you're still out there in Florida. You copy? I'm here. The boss gave me a, a tap on the shoulder, and I was lucky enough to go to work for Sully. In his corporate communications background, his politics, 
uh, in his experience at the White House was really not campaign-driven. Fair to say, Sully? No, that, that's right. It was more, uh, you know, message and, and communications planning uh, oriented than campaign. And remember, when I came on board in July of 06, Chief of Staff Josh Bolton and the President were looking for a different kind of perspective. Tony Snell had come on a few months before me and you know, and I have a lot of regard, high regard for for the Ed Gillespie, who you and I got to work with uh, later at the White House, and you know Kevin Madden and Danny Diaz. There were a lot of smart guys on that campaign, but to to pick up on what on, on the conversation, clearly there were not enough lessons learned from the from the '08 experience in, in a couple areas. Number one, the targeting and the get out the vote stuff that you guys have have kind of analyzed, but also technology. You know, and and. On, the, on election night, hearing them say on, on Fox News Channel that over the course of the campaign there were eight times as many tweets you know, put out by the Obama campaign than the Romney campaign really stunned me. Like, I would have said it was double, but eight times is, is really just, just kind of crazy given the power of digital media and social media today. And, and you know, there were other lessons to be learned about not playing it safe and not allowing yourself to be defined and not responding. We can talk about all those things, but I, I think missing the boat on the technology was something that that uh, that was a factor with so many uh, so many you know voters up for grabs. Uh, you know, well, uh, throughout Sully, the let, let, let me jump back in just to answer uh, Craig Manassian's question. I was really involved, and Josh had given me a lot of insight into what the dynamics are on a presidential campaign that I should be expecting. And one of them, because you guys were great advanced men, was the crowd building. And you're talking about that. A lot of my energy went into that crowd building, and it took a lot more energy to approximate the crowds that President Obama was organically getting. You know, if it was effortless on your side, it just was sweat on the brow every single day to make it happen, and it was such a fight. It was something, Josh, I didn't even imagine could be so hard to do and replicate day after day, state after state, town after town. But let's not assume that it was that it was organic. Uh, I think, I mean, some of the old war stories that I have, Adam, uh, would involve huge rallies outside of Detroit in which... Uh, the DNC handed me $1,000 in $1 bills, and uh, I would pay everyone who came off a bus that dollar as they as they went into the crowd site. And then uh, we would be spending our Saturdays out at the movie theaters leafleting the car windows and going to the local radio station and cutting actualities. But I'm looking at Craig and wondered, it doesn't hurt to have Bruce Springsteen and Jay-Z with you for a couple yeah, of days. Yeah, but, you know, even the I think the first Bruce Springsteen rally he did, uh, and it was Bruce Springsteen and President Clinton in Ohio maybe two and a half weeks before 3,000 people you know I think I think part of it is when you get to that that sprint at the end of the campaign and the candidates are zigzagging all over and in some cases they're only planning uh, particularly for the surrogates maybe a day ahead of time you don't have a lot of time to advertise I think that speaks to why the digital marketing efforts emailing tweets um, just plain old digital advertising too yeah you're right you can't even you don't have time to run an ad in a or you don't have you know, time to really do the aggressive flyering that when you have a, a week to do this. So, um, and it seemed like a very chicken in the egg. I mean, they they always are at the end of the campaign, but uh, it it seemed like the Romney campaign was being reactive to where uh, President Obama was, was going. And I, I wonder on some level if they did themselves a disservice. Um, you know, I don't know what kind of polls you were looking at internally that drove your scheduling decisions, but it did seem like in retrospect, they spent a lot of time at the end in places that they didn't do very well. Um, maybe could have spent more time in places where it ultimately would have been more competitive. But, it, you know, I don't know how that was driven for you. But, you know, the whole the whole discussion, I think, belies something that's even more important because we're talking about, you know, these rallies and who came and how hard it was to do that. But that means what do these rallies mean? Are they just tests of organizational strength or certainly if we're describing this a lot of hard work, not not representative of a candidate support. They're not polls, right? You can't get more people at your rally. You're not necessarily going to win. So, so if we're talking about the kind of death of the spectacle, was all this effort to get all these people in front to try to convince the media and the cameras that one side of the well, other is going to win? I, I don't know it. if I would agree to death of the spectacle, but you know, on this, the weekend after Thanksgiving, as Josh King said here on Polyoptics, Sirius XM. POTUS, channel 124, uh, as you've, you're sort of shaking off the tryptophan and you're joining us, it was not the death of the spectacle, but what did that spectacle 
really amount to, I, th- I think, is, is you've said it, uh, and you have all these embeds and you have all of the traditional media that's following. Josh, you you were just a huge and had a voracious appetite for it. And Sully, I know you were traveling back and forth up and down the East Coast watching the news. If we didn't have these big backdrops, if we didn't show the energy and the big mo, the momentum, um, how else were you going to demonstrate it, guys? But how was it being shown? Because as you know, the two square feet around the candidate's head is basically most uh-huh. of what I saw of, mm. of your beautiful sights when I did see the photos well, see, of which that, were that, breathtaking. That burns, that burns my ass. And that's why we, <laughs> we didn't do such a good job on those 80, 18 inches. But like a run, I, yeah, you didn't. And, and a run, that's why, I mean, the only way I really got it was Kevin Madden's tweets and Garrett Jackson's tweets. I mean, that's the only way that these... Because even the wire photos don't reflect yeah. it. You know, it's just well, the about, Time magazine, the news Sullivan? weeks. Sully, what, what, what were you seeing? I mean, were you were you tuned in in a different way than you were in past elections? The thing that kept that kept hitting me as, as I followed it was, for all the technology, the visuals obviously still matter. There were some issues there, but, but it still comes down to ideas. And, and for whatever reason, uh, and I may have said this on a, on a previous episode of Polyoptics, I had the occasion during the Salt Lake Olympics to spend an evening with, with, with Mitt Romney in his home with, with some journalists. And when we left that night, if you would have told me, this is a guy who can't connect with regular people, I would have said, you're nuts. He was warm. He was funny. He was engaging. He was a great host. It was a great night. It, it was a blast. And, and to, to, to have this situation happen where, you know, you look at the exit polls and he won on leadership but lost on empathy, I think that gets back to the tried and true communications lesson of all time is it's about the ideas and the message and and you've got to deliver it in a way that connects with people and for whatever reason i know they tried different things that didn't happen the fact that you know the president won on the economy and and won on the empathy score is really all you need to know demographics obviously played a role but the ideas weren't there and they and the connection wasn't made and it was that was the ball game you know, it's funny you should say that. This is a run talking because I think the most authentic piece of uh, media produced by any campaign this cycle was actually from the Romney campaign. And it pains me to say it, but it was his bio piece mm. that showed at the convention, uh, right. especially the bit with the light bulb. If you remember that in the tinfoil that used to shoot very dorky dad kind of yeah, moment. Yeah, too bad it played before 10 o'clock. And that's that's the point. It was like, you know, yeah. you got you all were sitting on this beautiful piece of uh, material, but then only played it once to C-SPAN and the rest of the time at rallies to already people yeah, who I one presumes were... I don't get it. I agree with you. That was very authentic. It was powerful. There were some powerful and some moving moments at the convention and along the way, but they, they were they were quiet and they weren't they weren't driven home in a way that 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 you know they it was like they were saving them until the end some of these things and by the end it was too late, and and he was defined you know by that point by the Obama campaign in in a way that just was 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 fatal. And instead, you have Clint Eastwood in a chair for. 12 minutes right. at the top of, well, of or the real hour at 11 o'clock. I've got Mr. Obama sitting here, and he's, uh, I, I just was going to ask him a couple questions, but, uh, you know, about, uh, I, I, I remember three and a half years ago when Mr. Obama won the election, and uh, though I wasn't a big supporter, I was watching that night when he was uh, having that thing, and they were talking about hope and change, and they were talking about, yes, we can, and and it was dark and it was outdoors and it was nice and people were lighting candles and they were saying, uh, uh, you, you know, and, and I just uh, thought, this is great. I mean, everybody's crying. Oprah was crying. And uh, <laughs> I was even crying. And then finally, I haven't cried that hard since I found out that uh, there's 23 million unemployed people in this country. The real instead is instead of emphasizing these personal things, the Romney campaign really doubled down on this uh, automotive commercial that was based right. on things that really rubbed people in Ohio the wrong way. And so it was a funny decision to kind of take this very inauthentic piece of material and really, really, really drill in on it while this yeah. other stuff kind of sat there untapped. Who will do more for the auto industry? Not Barack Obama. Fact checkers confirm his attacks on Mitt Romney are false. The truth Mitt Romney has a plan to help the auto industry. He's supported by Lee Iacocca and the Detroit News. Obama took GM and Chrysler into bankruptcy and sold Chrysler to Italians who are going to build Jeeps in China. Yeah, the, Chrysler, the Chrysler is sending jobs to China commercial 
you know, that may have cost them Ohio. Who knows? I mean, it was, it was, uh, they, they did it, it, it was assailed, it was called inaccurate, and they defended it. And, and uh, there should have been a way for them to, for the campaign to make that point that I would have done it differently. What's important is this, and get into what, what they wanted to talk about and, and, and a message that shows that they understand the, that Governor Romney understood the issues of middle class people, the economic issues. Uh, it, I think he would have been a good president. I really do. He was he was not a great candidate uh, for 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 whatever reason it, that that connection was unable to be to be made. Let's tick through some of the things that led up to November sixth and try and get get as many of them as we in as we can. But uh, let's start with the fact that any Republican taking on or or any challenger taking on an incumbent president is going to have to get through their primary process first. Craig, what was your impression as a Democrat watching debate after debate after debate between Governor Romney, who most average political uh, analysts would say is going to have the toughest skin to survive and is the most likely general election challenger? He's got to deal with Herman Cain, Rick Santorum, Newt Gingrich and get through this wacky field. You know, I think it's I think it's hard. I, I, you know, I spent a lot of time in South Carolina this cycle um, as an interested observer because my wife was um, covering the campaign for CNN. She was covering the Republicans. So I spent a lot of time there, saw week after week of these debates, and they are, they're programming for the smallest niche audience you could possibly imagine. It would be like running, you know, Kevin, I know your, your, your background in, uh, in TV as well. It, it would be like taking what should be a broadcast network like NBC and saying, in prime time, I'm only going to target men 18 to 19. <laughs> and um, that's what these debates ended up being like. And I, I think they they probably did their candidates a disservice. Um, and I don't think there was enough time to get to know the candidates before they were put on this stage. So you had, um, you know, the fact that a Herman Cain was in there uh, before he was a tried and true candidate. I mean, he would have he would have flamed out long before the debate should have started. It was just the the acceleration. One thing I found interesting, at least in South Carolina, um, was that the state ended up removing funds from the parties to be able to hold their um, conventions. So debates ended up being fundraisers, at least in South Carolina, for the Republican Party. The the um, the Democrats didn't have to worry about that. So there were debates being thrown on by uh, local, you know. Um, Republicans of Greenville um, as fundraisers, more or less. They were selling the rights to CBS or other places. So that, I think, was an unfair thing to the candidates as well, because they were more or less guilted into more debates than they uh, they were well served to do. Right. And next time we're going to have it times two. And there were there were too many. Uh, they didn't they didn't serve the candidate, ultimately Governor Romney, well at all, obviously, the way he had to what what he had to do during the primary season was completely different than what he had to do to get elected, and a lot of damage was inflicted, you know, friendly fire. And I, I think it's something that the, uh, you know, both parties will probably take a look at, uh, you know, prior to 2016. Polyoptics, the day after Thanksgiving here on Sirius XM. Josh King, host of this broadcast. Let me ask you a quick question. Uh, when you When you think about... Uh, the definition we talk about the primaries, but the the Obama campaign uh, got out there and defined Mitt Romney with ads early, often, and unresponded to. Conventional wisdom says it was the death knell. Do you you buy it? I do believe we formed an opinion about Mitt Romney through the spring, thanks to the paid advertising. And it wasn't I was in New York, so I didn't see it running in the targeted states, but. You know, I I think that people like Stephanie Cutter, who did a great job from Chicago uh, creating this news set and the media team in, in which Iran knows so well, uh, created some of these ads. I mean, even that ad of Mitt Romney singing uh, God uh, Best Bless One of the Cycle. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of gray, for purple mountains, majesty above the Best one of the cycle. Yeah, firms. tell us about yeah. that, Arun. What I mean, that, that how drunk were play. you when you produced that ad, Arun? <laughs> I, I only made ads for packs and super packs, so that was actually a campaign <laughs> ad, and I had nothing to do with it. I think I do know the the person who made it, uh, but it is. I think it's really effective because 
you know, we saw a lot of very typical uh, what I call Drek ads in this election, just sort of very normal stuff. And so when something interesting happens, you pay attention. And this one, I think, had a very good use of sound. We always are just sort of not worrying about the sound. This one, people know how to ignore the TV. They know how to go get a beer, make a sandwich, just not watch a commercial. But when you hear this off-key and constantly changing reverb on this singing of Mitt Romney, you're going to look up at the TV and be like, what the hell is that? What is what is going on? And then you're going to get the messaging. And then we get into the summer, guys, and we've all been involved in uh, in foreign trips with the president or the challenger. And remember, Barack Obama did a, a, a trip in 2008 in which he went to London and then Afghanistan and Iraq and... Uh, uh, in Paris, and uh, and then had that huge yeah, rally don't outside Berlin. the uh, Berlin, uh, the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin. But but this one, Craig Manassian, uh, to when Mitt Romney landed in London and talked about the Olympics, uh, and Boris Johnson and David Cameron sort of uh, picked up the the bait that he offered. You know, it's hard to know just how well it will turn out. Will turn out. There are a few things that were disconcerting. The stories about the uh, private security firm not having enough people. Uh, the su- supposed strike of the immigration and customs officials, that obviously is not something which is encouraging. Because in the games, there, there are three parts that make games successful. Number one, of course, are the athletes. That's what overwhelmingly the games are about. Number two are the volunteers, and they'll have great volunteers here. But number three are the people of the, of the country. Do they come together and celebrate the Olympic moment? And that's something which we only find out once the games actually begin was not a, a, a shining moment around the world for Mitt Romney. And what did you, uh, what did you think of the trip? You know, I, I think the trip was, was ill-conceived. I don't, I don't think there was a point in the campaign where um, the question was being asked that Romney needed to prove his foreign policy credentials when he was saying all along, and rightly so, that this was about the economy. Um, so he probably would have been better off skipping that trip. When it came to the Olympics... My read on his comments were that he was trying to prove that he actually really knew what was going on at the Olympics. I mean, I I think in the week leading up to there had been some concern in the British press about security. Um, But it's the same thing you hear whenever, you know, is Tampa ready for the convention? Is Detroit ready for the Super Bowl? It's all those kind of things that go into large scale events. And as the organizer of Salt Lake, you would have thought he would have both understood that and know not to highlight that particular thing. So I, you know, I'm sure he would say in retrospect, uh, it was all ill-conceived, but you know, it certainly didn't help him. It's funny. I worked very hard on that trip, Josh, as you know, because yeah, we, we talked about it. Um, and, you know, uh, the messaging and the visuals that, that I worked on really centered around what we did in Poland yep. and what we did in Israel. Um, and there was really, as far as on my radar screen, we didn't touch London. Um, and you would have thought that we would have had a little bit more discipline to have just jumped into a, the cauldron that we did there because uh, it didn't play well. And we were, you know, trying to put out a fire that we started. And there's nothing worse than being, you know, uh, an arsonist error. and a volunteer firefighter all at the same time. That kind of bipolar disorder, uh, you know, is 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 not unknown to campaigns, but it's really self-destructive. But that raises a fascinating question for you all, and maybe start with Kevin because I think we talked about it once, which is 2012, the year of the of the gaff, and poor Rich Gorka, you know, saying the same thing to the pool that that I've said before, uh, Craig Manassian has said before. Uh, in a news business where they're just looking for new catnip to fill a cable day, poor Rich is just telling the pool to get back in line or no more questions, but it comes out kind of the wrong way. And what do we have? We have a full day's worth of stories on this stuff. And, and that kind of thing happened, you know, m- multiple times. And one other point about the overseas trip that I think is really important polyoptically is the timing. And it was almost like, the Romney campaign felt, and Adam, you can correct me on this, okay, the Olympics are going on. It gives us a chance to reinforce the governor's business credentials and his ability as a leader and all that. But also, people are going to be paying less attention, so they're going to be you know, zeroed in on the Olympics, and it's a little bit of a timeout in the, in the campaign mayhem. So let's go over there and do this, this foreign stuff. Well, while he was out of the country is exactly when the attacks really heated up, not just, you know, it was his Bain credentials, the very thing they were trying to bolster by going over to, to London, uh, you know, the business leader kind of thing with the Salt Lake connection, personal attacks, and 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 his text about his wealth that he can't relate to you. So I think the the groundwork of the of defining Romney that was so uh, 
you know, hurtful ultimately to him, happened while he was out of the country trying to do this other thing. And I think that was a miscalculation, too. They were unable to respond. Their attention was elsewhere. They were overseas. And I thought it was a shrewd move on the part of the Obama campaign to seize that moment and, 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 and use it when, they, when, when the Romney campaign would be occupied elsewhere. I don't know, Adam, if that rings true. Uh, but I thought, you know, that was a, a, a key, you know, uh, period of time for the, the definition of, of, of Romney. I think the Romney campaign on that foreign trip also really allowed the press that is, you know, 20 or 30 cranky jet lagged reporters to actually tell the whole story of the trip. Uh, and I think never was there a time when a lack of a personal videographer for uh, Governor Romney was more yeah. obvious. OK, so you've got two trip. really important points. <clears throat> yeah. Sully, as to yours. You, you, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It was conceived of in this in this way that it was a chance to do some housekeeping while everyone's eyes are focused in another place, i.e. The, the Olympics, and it was poorly executed. Craig says it was poorly conceived. There's evidence of that. The utility of doing it didn't get brought out because they lost the message, couldn't control the narrative, didn't have the, the devices uh, visually to help tell that story in another way. And then, you know, Sully, uh, once again, you're right. They, they were caught flat-footed trying to sort of moonwalk across the the uh, the foreign stage quickly while they thought they had the opportunity. Meanwhile, we were getting our asses kicked from here to, to Sacramento and back at home, and we just had no response. But Iran, the simplest lesson might say we need ourselves in Iran. Why didn't they have one? I, I don't know, and I think it's surprising because there were some early attempts with Mitt on the road where he'd be talking while he was driving or some other stuff. I think there was an overconfidence, and this is just through secondhand evidence, so the, the Romney folks should definitely jump in, though that uh, I know Stuart Stevens and a lot of the advisors who are more of the media guys were so confident in their ability to turn things around quickly and I think they thought that's the only you know, utility it, it, of having someone like me is uh, just being fast, not necessarily Stuart, being. Stuart Stevens is. I have the greatest respect for Stuart, for uh, for for the whole team up there, Ashley and and the rest. And you know they were really focused on being able to have that kind of a run shadri turnaround. They brought the whole organization inside up in Boston. I witnessed it many times, and they're amazing professionals. Uh, but you're right, we were we were without someone the sort of the closest you got and Josh talked about this a lot Kevin too over the summer was Garrett Jackson right Josh that's right that I mean, was the vision that people were getting and it was in 140 characters or a pick on Facebook but there was no yeah. really solid emotionally connected visual narrative of behind the scenes for Mitt Romney. I mean, Garrett's too busy also making peanut butter and honey sandwiches, so he's got mm -hmm. another job that he's got to do, and, and, and a run is, is an artist and a filmmaker. Totally different gigs going on. Uh, let's, uh, let's pivot now to sort of where I thought, aha, uh -huh, maybe, maybe Romney's on to something. It was, it was that day in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. We were all waiting for mm -hmm. the, the, the VP selection. Today we, uh, we take another step forward in helping restore the promise of America as we move forward in this campaign and on to help lead the nation to better days, it's an honor to announce my running mate and the next Vice President of the United States, Paul Ryan. And I said, my God, uh, they've gone to the battleship Wisconsin. Uh, they've used excellent walkout music, the Air Force One theme. Uh, Paul Ryan is uh, young and he does a good job on the stage. Mitt Romney makes a little bit of a gaffe announcing him, but that's okay. This this looks like a pretty good ticket. Uh, uh, Craig or Arun, did you have any sort of fear that, that they might have picked a, a good combination here that that might uh, it, this VP pick might actually make a difference against uh, the combination of Obama and Biden? It was such a great VP pick because both sides were so happy with it. You know, in a way, it was like, okay, we are going to argue about ideas, and here's our proof. We've got Paul Ryan here, and I think that both sides felt confident enough in their position on the idea. So I think this is one of those rare moments where actually messaging and optics did hold hands and run down into the water together. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think he was the best choice they had at the moment, and uh, they were trying to make the campaign about the economy, and uh, he spoke to that end of their of of who they thought their voters would, you know, the voters they needed to to bring back in line. So um, I think Iran's right. It was a, uh, both sides were happy with that choice. You, 
I was just going to say, Sully, uh, you know, Josh made mention of the 18 inches behind the head and some of the things that we did so incredibly well in the in the Bush administration, reinforcing the president's uh, message with with uh, with the visuals. And this was another example where we didn't do it where and I pounded on this day in and day out. And I don't mean this to sound like sour grapes now that I'm back here with Josh King safely ensconced to talk five at Sirius XM here in Washington, D.C. But I'll tell you, if if I was a broken record, it was let's message, let's get out there. There was no good picture except for the wide shot uh, coming out of this event, the one that you love down in Norfolk. And, uh, you know, Lord knows the White House photographers have well trained themselves to push in past the, the, uh, the podium sign and you're just dead in the water without any reinforcement. I think it was I think it was interesting too with Paul Ryan that he coming from Congress he um seems like he thought he understood the media. They you know we all know that the members the House and Senate members speak to the press every day. Um they're usually not called on little details uh, the way you are on a presidential campaign. And at least from what I understand he was very uh open and engaging with the press early on until a couple of things, Marathon Story and others, came out that uh, uh, I guess Boston probably, you know, tried to shut it down. Um, and I think there was a learning curve for him that he didn't expect. At least that's what it seemed like from the outside. Sully, what's your take? You know, interesting thing. I thought I thought Ryan was a bold pick uh, for all the reasons we've discussed. And then I thought the performance in the first debate was was obviously a, a big night for for Romney, and then for whatever reason they decided to play it safe on a number of fronts. They started declining interview requests, uh, and 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 really just kind of tucked it in as if the debate and the Ryan pick were enough. The first debate and the Ryan pick were enough to kind of get him home. And uh, that's another thing I, I'll, that I, I'll never understand is 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 the, the Romney campaign needed to be uh, bolder and more aggressive. And, and, and I just think that they played it too safe. And, and, uh, and, and, and in fact, one thing that it hit me is, you know, the famous Detroit, the, the, the op-ed in the New York Times from November of 2008. I mean, this is ancient history. This is like something you'd find in the Dead Sea Scrolls in the political, you know, time <laughs> frame. I mean, this was four years ago. It's a long time. And I, I think it would have been great for them to try to, to get the New York Times to say who wrote that headline. Because those words were put in Romney's mouth. He didn't say that. He didn't say let Detroit go bankrupt. It was used in ads. It was used in all kinds of stuff online. He never said it. And they, I think but it was people asked clever. him if he agreed with it after it came out, and he said yes. And we have videotape. I mean, I've used videotape right. of him saying yes, I agree with it. You damn pack ad producer. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, he, he, he could have made a distinction there. But you're right. You're right. He could have done a better job defining and removing himself. Right, and, and so I just think there was a general after the after the Ryan pick went pretty well initially, and after the first debate went pretty well. My, the feeling just just watching things, you know, just kind of watching the news every day and talking to some people, it just felt like they were playing it safe at at the absolute worst possible time. If anything, they should have doubled down. Now, the easiest thing is to do this kind of hindsight is twenty twenty, uh, you know, uh, Monday morning, you know, quarterback kind of stuff. Uh, uh, but it is frustrating because I think he would have been a good president. And we're still trying to digest our Thanksgiving Day meal. And, that, that's right. And it's easy to do hindsight with uh, that's right. with, with our. Should we do an instant here. poll, Josh? I mean, you know, a lot of people like uh, canned chaudry sauce. I uh, <laughs> I like the whole chaudries. Uh, I'm sorry, a run chaudry. I have a question for for the Romney guys backing up a little bit. Um, cause I, and I won't know if you're on the campaign then yet or I've talked to people about it, but the optics, the setting for Romney's response to the Supreme Court uh, health care ruling was, I thought, one of the real failures of uh, Romney advance. I mean, but here's another question, which I think is sort of existential of the death of the spectacle or the, the death of sort of freewheeling campaigning, which is um, neither Obama nor Romney, uh, I don't think, did any sort of wild sound with the pool at all in the entire general election process. And if they did, I don't remember it. But this is, and we used to, Craig, we used to sort of bite our teeth when Clinton would do this because, you know, he was going to step on our pretty pictures and and the visual that we created and, and it could go any which way. But but there's, you know, Obama needed to, uh, to play it safe. I mean, he was uh, Ali playing rope-a-dope as long as uh, he could, he could uh, bring it to election day. But, but Romney... Uh, never would just say, hey, 
Get any questions, I'm here to take them. Let's, it's the end of a long day. Let's have a little chat. And, and because everyone is so concerned about the gaffe, but I think there's a lot of death that happened in 2012. It was the death of the spectacle. It's always also the death of the impromptu pool gathering. Nothing's local and nothing's private, right? And we're just living right. with that reality now. Well, you know, you- and I wonder if the fear of the gaffe is why the, the Governor Romney made the comment in London about maybe they're not ready for security because he, God forbid, he said it was going to be great and then something happened. He would look out of touch, undermining the trip. When it, his purpose for being there was to be, was to, you know, establish himself on the international stage, but basically be a good guest. And, and the place where he is is the message. You know, the fact that he's in London and Poland and these places was the, the message. He didn't need to, you know, be critical on the ground there and those kind of things. And, and I wondered if it was that fear of, you know, a, a, you know, kind of a split-screen moment where he's saying everything's going to be fine while there's something bad happening elsewhere at the games. Yeah, I also wonder if he there's there's an element at least I felt through the Romney campaign of he was constantly trying to prove himself um, that he he knew what he was talking about or knew more. And I think one of the interesting points in the uh, the biopic ad, if you go back and look at it, is there was a point where his dad was asking him what his favorite car was. And there was a very young Mitt Romney in, in the boy. He in the hit spot. that line, didn't he? And. Uh, yeah, but I mean, if you if you go back and I looked at it recently, if you look at his expression, I mean, he is he is bursting, getting ready to answer it, and it's almost like call on me, call on me, I know the answer. And I think when you go back and look at some of these gaffes, um, rushing out to say that Benghazi was um, mishandled or terrorism, or that uh, security wasn't up to snuff, or um, there there were a number of these things through the campaign, I almost read it as. The same way. I I know the answer. I know the real answer. Um, I want to prove that I'm smart enough to do this and uh, maybe didn't think the other way. Maybe I, I don't think he was so calculating as to say this could be a moment where it could be held against me in London. I just think I think his security briefing started just before that, if I recall. And I, I just wonder if it was an effort to say, I really know what I'm talking about. And uh, I came back to haunt him. Yeah, I, I, I sort of what what sully said resonates with me um i think that he may be onto something there and you know lord knows even as we continue to adjudicate uh, benghazi uh, we can talk about polyoptics and whether getting out there as fast as he did was right it, it's even worse sometimes if you get out there that fast and you end up being right you're listening to polyoptics Sirius xm channel 124 potus this is our 79th episode adam belmar we are with Craig Manassian, Arun Chaudhry, Kevin Sullivan, and digesting our Thanksgiving meal. And I, and as I do, I, I think about Craig. The one of the big X factors in campaign 2012. It was the return on the grand stage of the big dog Bill woof, Clinton. Woof, woof. What was what was your impression of uh, of the way the president um, performed both in the convention and then out on the stump? And and what was sort of your interaction with him and the aides and and how he felt about his role this time? He, I mean, he wanted to be as helpful as possible, and he, he really, he has said many times he felt strongly that the president should be reelected, and that's what would be best for the country. And as you saw from his schedule, he literally was willing to do um, everything they asked him to do. Um, I think what's interesting is the Romney campaign's efforts to separate President Obama from President Clinton throughout the summer. I think probably had. Um, an unattended effect that it it uh, refocused President Clinton on doing whatever he could to help uh, President Obama and made him even more determined to um, uh, to be successful in his convention speech and through the campaign. I think he felt that, um, you know, he would take all of this, you know, almost praise that the Romney campaign was heaping on him and uh, and use it against them. And so I, I, I wonder, Adam, Kevin, from your point of view, um, if you saw it that way as well in retrospect. You know, I, I agree with you, Craig. He, uh, he was the ultimate closer, President Clinton was, in, in many ways. And what, what hit me as I watched this was, uh, you know, that, that Governor Romney didn't really have great surrogates. You yeah. know, he had, he had Sununu, who was, you know, I mean, oh, obviously, you know, a, a credible guy, but not a, not a guy who was going to necessarily uh, excite, especially young people or what have you, you know. 
you know, obviously, you know, Senator Portman did a nice job. There were some good ones, but there weren't enough. And he had Kid Rock, which which was which was good, better than the kind of rock and roll celebrities we Republicans normally get. Uh, I remember President Bush making a joke in '04. I, I think that did. did uh, did Senator Kerry do a Springsteen thing at the University of Wisconsin? Yeah, I think they had 100,000 people or so, or maybe close to that at the end, right at the very end of the campaign. Right, and Pre- President Bush made a joke on the road one day, I was going to do that, but you know, Randy Travis was busy that day, or some, <laughs> some country star, I don't, know, I don't think it was Randy Travis, but it was somebody like that. And Alan Jackson, he, maybe. Yeah, he joked around about that, and, and, I, and I, but I think the surrogate thing, obviously President Clinton was, did, you know, was a great closer, and 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 I think you know the Eastwood thing. In fact, I don't blame those guys for throwing that hail mary. And I think there is a visual that you know Clint Eastwood is is there with Mitt Romney. I think there's there, there, it was worth an attempt. I don't understand. It sounds to me, Adam, like they let him go on stage without knowing exactly what he was going to do. Obviously, it didn't go well. It wasn't well received. I think if if I was in their shoes, I I, I you know I wouldn't say that I would have not done the same thing because I think they needed that bold kind of image, uh, you know, and to try to me- measure up with the star power, you know, Morgan Freeman ver- voicing, you know, uh, uh, ads for the president and all the kind of star power that, 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 uh, that he was able to bring. And, and, and I think it, it, the lack of a, of, of a deep bench of powerful surrogates was a factor down the stretch. I run uh, George Clooney and Sarah Jessica Parker and Anna Winter. How how do you think that sort of worked? None of this stuff matters, I don't think, even slightly at all. It doesn't even raise that much money, you know? I mean, Warren Baden did not get McGovern elected. Like, you know, I think celebrities have hung out with politicians for a long time, and I definitely think it's played out. But what about, did it hurt, though? I mean, for, you know, asking me for $3, and I think we were all signed up for everyone's lists. Mm -hmm. You know, Sully said he was surprised at the eight times multiplier on the number of tweets. But I got to tell you what, I was so overwhelmed and put off by what was coming out of the Obama camp on the fundraising side for who I could have dinner with for just $3. It, it just seemed beneath the president. You know, I think there's a lot of people who are going to question that strategy and how it worked. The only thing I can speak to on it is if it wasn't, uh, if they weren't getting great click-through rates in those emails, they would not have sent them. So the fact that they're getting that they were getting fun rate that they were getting good results meant it was worth doing to them. I think it's a kind of one trick pony. I think when you start up again in that in 2016, people are like no 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 don't start with that again. So I think <laughs> it's kind of a a junk food kind of fundraising quick fix, like you know based on some very credible data. But I'm not sure if that's a real long term strategy for you know growth of any movement. Uh, the last October surprise of 2012 was actually a surprise. It was a a superstorm, a post tropical cyclone, as I in the insurance industry know, called Sandy, uh, and it decimated uh, the coastline of New Jersey, uh, Long Island, Connecticut, and also the outer boroughs of New York City. How much did Sandy uh, and the way that the president responded to it uh, and the way that governors involved and mayors involved responded to it affect the outcome of this campaign, if at all? Craig? I think, as uh, as Kevin just mentioned, it, it gave President Obama a chance to do his job, and that's ultimately what you're what you're voting for. You want to see who can do the job as president. And that, um, un- unfortunately, for all the residents of this area, um, gave him a chance to show him at his best as a, as a, as a cool, composed leader who was going to do what it takes to, to get it done. You want to, you want to know what I think the, the biggest polyoptics disaster of the hurricane was? And if it ends up being that he can never run for president, I won't be surprised Chris Christie showed up to pal around with the president and check out the disaster wearing white sneakers. What? What? <laughs> I mean, even the boss had a good pair of shoes on. I can tell you one thing working for Kevin Sullivan and George W. Bush. You show up with bad shoes, the boss will say, no. Uh-uh. Adam, yeah, honestly. got to get out of here. What's, what the is... disaster casual wardrobe uh, includes footwear uh, directions. You I'm bet it mistaken. does. You know, yes, So break yeah. glass. It's an emergency. Get rid of the white yeah. sneakers, big boy. Yeah, you know, it did It did give the president, we all know how important images are, and it did give the president a chance to speak wearing the Air Force One, you know, bomber jacket. And, you know, the power of the incumbency is a big thing. He was able to look bipartisan. He was there to help people. It was a very legitimate, as Craig said, doing his job moment. And I don't know how big of a factor it was, but it certainly helped a little bit. And, and it, was, it was, you know, Romney turned his uh, shrewdly, you know, turned campaign offices into, you know, uh, relief collection centers. And, you know, I think he, he attempted to use the disaster in, an, in a positive way, not, not exploitive, but, 
uh, you know, use it in a, in a way to help people, but but it's not the same thing as the president getting to go be the president. I think that Chris, one aspect of the Chris Christie, um, you know, bromance, I guess, with, with, with the president was how much like a fanboy he seemed to be acting. He did some local interviews after that where he talked about how cool it was for his kids to be able to meet the president, how how impressive it was to ride on Marine One. And there was an element to me of um, if there was a, a long-term effect out of this, it, it might be that, that he came off as almost um, Christie not ready for prime time and not acting like, you know, he'd been there before and will be there again. I, I, it's, we also have to separate these things out, which is the problem with our business to begin with, right, which is message versus the visions. Like, the storm also did highlight very strong messaging differences and com- differences between the parties and their relationship to government. And, and you can't just you can't just sweep that under the rug. That was definitely something it brings to people's minds. They're like, oh, right, what does government do? What do I want it to do? You're, you're right. I mean, there are still people here who are, you know, it's interesting given the timing of the storm, too, because there are there are a lot of complaints in New York about FEMA now being unresponsive. And, and there are there's huge infrastructure problems going on here. If that storm is a month earlier and the response is lagging. Yeah. Thank you for saying that, Craig, because where we are today is a whole lot different right. than where we were in the days following Sandy. And the aftermath is a long-term commitment and a long-term experience. We still have people here on Thanksgiving across this weekend who are without power, who don't have the the basic amenities that uh, that you'd think you'd have post a storm like this, Sully. And, and, it, and it continues to this day. Right. And, you know, the morning of November, I'm glad Craig mentioned that too, on the morning of November 2nd, I remember watching Morning Joe. Scarborough wasn't there that day. Uh, and that was the day when the true devastation on Staten Island, the pictures really first uh, cascaded through, and the anguish and, and really how just those people were suffering. And there were you know, four or five panelists on the MSNBC set that morning. And, and I am not a, a you know, media-biased conspiracy theory guy. I don't think these people all get together and decide who's going to get elected and, and that sort of thing. But the natural advantage that the president had this was mayhem and chaos and if it was george w bush or president mitt romney i just know on the set that day they would have been killing him and instead lawrence o'donnell never went there you know mika never went there i forget who else was on the panel that morning and and i felt like they were covering for the president there were criticisms of fema there were there were there were you know there was great anguish over the poor response and there was no no connection to the president whatsoever and and we all know it hasn't always, uh, you know, disasters haven't always been treated that way, you know, equally. And you know, when it when it was uh, the guy that Adam and I worked for serves you right, Kevin, for watching MSNBC. <laughs> um, so so now that we uh, now that this week as uh, we had our first visit by Marco Rubio to Iowa, and uh, we're all I think pining after these mega rallies and and technology and everything that happened in in the late summer and fall of 2012 when the campaign goes big time. We're looking forward to getting unplugged again uh, with coffee clutches in New Hampshire and uh, and milking cows in Iowa. Uh, what are your thoughts, uh, starting with Adam? Uh, of what the next cycle is going to be when you have a when we will have a 45th president in January 2017 and it's going to be a wide open race on both sides. Well, you know, I, I didn't want to get political, but I didn't get uh, a chance to say that I thought that this whole campaign was a bit wither Biden. Um, you know, there's, in my opinion, very little promise for Joe Biden in the in the coming presidential election, as evidenced by his backbenching throughout most of this campaign, but. Uh, I think that from the Republican perspective, what we, well, I think what we learned is that uh, you can't just use words and messaging and polls to divine what coalesces this country. I mean, we were probably in the end on the wrong side of history on some very important issues here, uh, and the issues matter. And ultimately, uh, whether it be the, the the developing and changing demographics in this country. Uh, with regard to Latino voters uh, and what happens in terms of issues that come off the board in the coming uh, Congress, these things are going to set the table, and new leadership is needed. Uh, Sully talked about the lack of good surrogates, uh, where perhaps they they abounded uh, on the other side. And so it's not just the singular face of a nominee 
or uh, coalescing around a popular issue, even if it is the economy. It is, for the Republican Party, a wholesale teardown and rebuild and reevaluation because without it, uh, we may end up where my eight-year-old son says we are, which is, Daddy, there were more Democrats than there were Republicans. Won't they just keep winning elections? And I said no, and he's wondering why. And I'm not sure why yet, son, but we're going to try and figure that one out. Iran, will there be a, a peaceful transition to a new nominee, or is there are the Democrats going to have a catfight? Uh, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting one because, you know, you have obviously a ter- someone termed out. Uh, I think it will be sim- similar to 2008 in that I think it'll be a bruiser, but I think maybe even, you know, long and drawn out, but I think it'll, you know, eventually be about the issues more than the personalities. But what I'm hoping for the next cycle is that we as uh, consumers of media do a better job holding media accountable. I, you know, I call it the weekend at Bernie's election in a lot yeah. of ways. I feel like they keep propping up dead candidates. You know, they forced Mitt Romney to spend a lot of money running against Rick Santorum. Like, that wasn't a real race. You know, so I think uh, a lot of things, I think next time around we'll be more skeptical of the media and more of the pundits and more supportive of the numbers folks. You know, see more Nate Silvers and fewer uh, fill-in pundit who's not one of us here. Kevin, will Florida get its act together next time around? Well, you know, immigration reform has got to be uh, uh, addressed. You know, uh, in 2006, we all thought that President Bush had the right idea yep. without amnesty but without animosity, which was a nice little soundbite, and it was also part of the policy. And, you know, he had a great uh, bipartisan coalition led by Senator Kennedy and Senator McCain. There was all, The economy was booming. It was the right time. The policy may have not have been perfect. It was on the right track. We missed that opportunity in part because uh, ultimately the political will, uh, not on the part of President Bush, but on the part of Congress, was not there. Some guys chickened out, I, I think, uh, really tragically in, in a lot of ways. And, and now, so, you know, President Bush, who got two, 44% of the Latino vote or whatever the number was, that has just been seriously eroded. Obviously, the fastest growing voting bloc. So to me, Job one, and it's got to be more than just okay. Marco Rubio is our guy, or Susanna Martinez is our our, our girl. Uh, it, it's got to be real, well thought out, legitimate uh, addressing immigration reform. The Republicans can lead on it, can make it happen, or play a, a key part in making it happen. And I hope that's the next uh, policy area that's that's uh, addressed. Craig, our last uh, several candidates winning the election, uh, going back I think to 1992, has been the candidate who was in their 40s uh, and projected some some youthful vigor. Uh, there are a lot of people who would think that, that the next cycle might have be uh, one more with a Clinton on the top of the ticket in uh, uh, on the Democratic Party. But uh, has Hillary's time passed, or and is it, will a new generation uh, take over, both for Hillary and Biden, or might there be another chance for Hillary? I, I think it's too early to say, and I, I think she's said a couple of times that, that she's not interested in running. Um, I do think this will be the longest campaign. So um, as you just mentioned about Marco Rubio, and there, there are people who we may not have seen who will emerge. And I think to to Aaron's point, um, the media is more, you know, they made record profits in 2008. And, and part of that was because they had superstar candidates. Um, and they didn't do as well this time, and they tried to engineer that. And I think they're scared as they look at their bottom line that, um, you know, they need to look forward and with more competitors, more, you know, whether it's Twitter or technologies and, and ways to digest and get information that we haven't even seen yet, um, that they need to make this as much of a title fight as they can. And so you'll hear the speculation about Hillary. You'll hear the speculation about Biden. You'll hear the speculation um, about a number of candidates, Rubio, um, just to keep that uh, keep us tuning in. Keep us tuning in. And that causes these campaigns to be billion-dollar campaigns. And that will, unfortunately, probably scare off some very worthy candidates. So I think it's too early to tell, other than the fact that we know it's already started. Well, Adam Belmar, I am, on the one hand, uh, sorry for, that you will not be uh, putting the final touches on the inaugural stand and tweaking a different way of doing the inaugural parade uh, with uh, with Belmarian graphics along Pennsylvania Avenue emblazoned on the street themselves. But uh, the benefit for us is that you are back in the studio and uh, the Polyoptics team has been reunited. And it's uh, congratulations on the work that you did do 
but I'm glad you're home. Uh, and I appreciate that, Josh, because uh, you kept this polyoptics fire burning with some amazing shows that brought us here to 79. Sully, Arun, uh, Craig, you guys have all helped along that way, too, and we will continue into the new year doing just what we do every day here on POTUS. That's it for another edition of Polyoptics. You hear us each Saturday on Sirius XM Channel 124, POTUS, Politics of the United States. Missed any previous episode? Find them all on polyoptics.com and follow us on Twitter at Polyoptics. Keep your eyes on the visual, think about how it moves you, and we'll talk about it next week. Thanks for listening. I'm Josh King, and you're on POTUS. (laughs) 